O come, O come, Emmanuel. And Lord Jesus, make us ready for the day you do come in power and glory for your sake. Amen. Grace to you and peace from the Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. As I'm sure you're aware, today we begin a brand new church year with today being the start of the Advent season. Advent, of course, covers the four weeks leading up to Christmas. Traditionally, Advent is a season of reflection, of repentance, and renewal of our heart and soul and mind. It's also a season of preparation. Preparation for the coming King. The word Advent itself means arrival or coming. And so we talk about the advent of Jesus, the arrival or the coming of Jesus. This is a season when we think about the different ways that Jesus comes. First of all, we, we, we think about Jesus' first advent, His first arrival as that infant born in Bethlehem. We also talk about the different ways that Jesus comes to us personally in His Word and in His sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper. But another theme of Advent is Jesus' final Advent, His final coming on the last day. That will be the focus this morning. Our Advent sermon series is entitled, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And today's specific theme is, Come, Lord Jesus, in power and glory. As today we focus on Christ's second and final Advent when He indeed comes in power and glory. The words, come Lord Jesus, are not just a phrase from a common Lutheran table prayer that we probably most of us know very well. They are actually words from St. John's writing of the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible. And they come from the last chapter of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 20. John writes these words. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon, namely Jesus. And then John comments, he says, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Today we are going to dig into this topic of Jesus' final advent. It brings us to the topic of the last things, of the end times. And while this is a broad topic with many details and we don't have time in a short sermon to cover all those details, we want to talk about the events of the last day when Jesus comes again in power and glory. So that is our theme, come Lord Jesus in power and glory. And I wanted to start off by saying that there actually are some unfortunate, unbiblical, man-made ideas out there that have become rather popular even in Christian circles, and we need to identify these for what they are. For example, there is the idea out there that Jesus is going to be coming again at least two or even three more times. There is the notion that the next time Jesus comes, He's going to come in a secret fashion where no one will know He arrived, and all the believers will be taken out of the world. Well, let's be clear. Biblically speaking, 
Jesus is coming again only one more time. And it will not be a quiet, secret event. That is made clear in the readings we heard a moment ago from our gospel lesson and today's epistle reading. From the gospel lesson in Mark 13, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the end times. And in that lecture, this is one of the things he says. He says, at that time, men will see the coming of the Son of Man in clouds with great power and glory. This is not going to be a secret, quiet event when Jesus comes again. Everyone will see him. Everyone will know this is the end. St. Paul underscores that same idea in his letter to, the first letter to the Thessalonians, as we heard a moment ago, where Paul says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Clearly, this is no secret, quiet event. Jesus is going to come in power and glory. Everyone will see him, and there will be no question about what this day means. Another insight about Jesus' final coming is that at his final advent, Jesus will raise the dead back to life. He will raise the dead back to life. We just professed that a few moments ago when together we recited the words of the Apostles' Creed. And in that creed we all said together, I believe in the resurrection of the body. That's talking about the fact that on the day Jesus returns in power and glory, he's going to raise the dead bodies back to life. And note, he's going to raise all the dead, not just some. All the dead will be brought back to life. Acts 24 verse 15 says, There will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. All the dead will be brought back to life. Now it might be helpful at this point to just do a little review of what it is that happens at the point that someone dies. We humans, of course, have a physical body and we also have that invisible living part of us that we refer to as the soul or the spirit. At the point of death, the soul separates from the body. The soul never dies. The body, of course, is put into the, the ground to await the last day. The soul of the believer in Jesus goes immediately into heaven into the presence of Christ our Savior. The soul of the unbeliever is cast away into hell where Satan reigns. On the last day, all the dead bodies will be raised back to life. The bodies will be rejoined with their souls. And the bodies of the believers in Jesus will be transformed into heavenly glorious bodies and we will enter heaven physically, body and soul for all eternity. By the way, if you're interested in reading more about the resurrection of the body, the key chapter to read in the Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's often called the resurrection chapter where Paul goes into greater detail about the fact that our bodies will be transformed into glorified heavenly bodies. But now the question may come up, what about the people who are alive on the day that Jesus returns? What is the order of events 
in relation to those who are still alive that day. Paul gives an explanation in our epistle lesson today. He says, the dead in Christ will rise first, and then he goes on to explain that then all believers will then meet the Lord in the air. And that event is usually referred to as the rapture, where we are caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. Paul goes on and explains it this way in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, the dead in Christ will rise first, after that, We who are still alive and and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, I want to highlight a phrase from that verse where it says, we will be caught up, caught up together with them in the clouds. The phrase caught up. When the Bible was translated into Latin, the word, Latin word that was used for caught up was rapiemur, from which we get our word rapture. That's where that word comes from. And clearly, what is being described here is an event taking place on the last day when Jesus returns in power and glory. The believers are caught up, raptured, if you will, taken up to meet the Lord in the air as He descends. But what I want you to understand is that there is an alternative, what I would say false teaching that has become quite common and and promoted in Christianity today in some churches. And that is the idea that the rapture happens more than a thousand years prior to Jesus' final return. That prior to the last day, as much as a thousand years plus, the believers are going to be secretly taken out of the world, raptured, if you will. That is a completely unbiblical teaching. The only place where the word rapture is found is in this text in 1 Thessalonians 4. And clearly the context in which Paul is writing is he is describing the events of the last day, the day when Jesus comes in power and glory. It's no secret event, as we said. And when he comes we will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air, raptured on the last day. Another teaching about this event is that when Jesus comes again, He will judge all people. He will judge people on the basis of faith in Jesus as their Savior or no faith in Jesus. Whether one believed in Jesus in his or her life here on earth, or where they they rejected Jesus and therefore were unbelievers. It makes the point, friends, which is not very popular, is certainly not politically correct, but is biblically correct, that there will be a judgment day. There will be a day of reckoning. And let's be clear, Jesus is the judge, no one else. In Acts 10, verse 42, it says, He, that is Jesus, is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. We don't have to try and be the judge. And when when various questions arise about, but what about these people? And, And what if this happens? You know what? We leave that up to Jesus, who ultimately is the judge. But let's be clear. Everyone, every single person, 
will appear before the judge. No exceptions. Paul makes it clear in his second letter to the Corinthians chapter 5 when he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And once again, that judgment is not based on what kind of a good record we had in this life. That judgment is based on, did you believe in Jesus as your Savior or not? Jesus himself taught the source of salvation. In Mark 16, he said, Whoever believes will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, let's be clear about something here. No one deserves heaven. Not a single one of us deserves heaven. Because every single one of us, every human being is a sinner. And by all rights, every one of us should be sent to hell. But by God's grace and mercy, what did he do? He sent his son Jesus to die in your place and mine to take the punishment we deserved. At that cross, something fabulous happened. Martin Luther called it the great exchange. He explains that at the cross, Jesus, the holy, innocent, perfect Son of God, took all of the sins of every one of us and of every human being and put them on himself and then was punished, even damned, for our sins. And in exchange for our sins, what does he give us? His perfection through faith in him. What a deal, huh? He gets our sins and we get his perfection, his righteousness. It's the best deal possible. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you see, we who trust in him are now wrapped in the perfection of Jesus. As our sins have been wiped away by his death on the cross. And we have the absolute certainty of eternal life in heaven with him. It's as if through faith in Jesus, we have a white robe wrapped around us. A white robe of the perfection of Jesus. So that when God the Father looks at us now, he doesn't see a condemned sinner. He sees the perfection of his son Jesus and says, welcome, my child. St. John's book of Revelation gives us a, a sneak peek into heaven. And we can see ourselves in this picture from Revelation 7. Look what John writes. He says, These in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's describing you and me and all believers in Jesus who are wrapped in white robes of Christ's righteousness and will live in glory in heaven forever with our wonderful Savior. Now, let's say something rather stark and rather challenging. For the unbeliever, judgment day will indeed be a fearful day. For judgment day will mean separation from God and His love forever. Could there be a more horrifying message to hear than to hear God the judge say you wanted nothing to do with me in this life you'll have nothing to do with me forever 
That is eternal judgment. That is condemnation. That is hell. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. We will not hear that spoken to us. For the believer in Jesus Christ, you see, Judgment Day has no fear about it whatsoever. In fact, because of Jesus' perfection that is wrapped around us now, we can look forward to the last day, fully knowing that our Savior Jesus is going to receive us with open arms and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome to my kingdom. We look forward to the day when we're finally home. And the last point I want to leave with you concerning Jesus' final advent is his own exhortation to us. Be ready. Be ready, for Jesus could come at any time. As he himself said in his end times lecture from Mark 13, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It calls upon each of us, friends, to be ready. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be ready for the day Jesus comes? Let's say it simply. Being ready simply means to trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. To believe that His death on the cross paid for your sins and that His resurrection guarantees your eternal life. Being ready means fully trusting in Him from now until the day you die and not letting any of the distractions of this life and this world steal away your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. In Revelation, we have the words of Jesus that say, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Being faithful, being ready, simply means trusting in Jesus till the day you die. Now some people may wonder, why is God taking so long? It's been over 2,000 years since Jesus came the first time. What's the delay? With all the problems and, and sin that we see in the world, why doesn't God bring this thing to an end already? Well, it is a testimony of God's patience, isn't it? and of His genuine, heartfelt love for people. In Peter's second letter, he, he explains that God isn't slow when it comes to his, his plan for the last days. God isn't slow. God desires that all people be brought to repentance and to salvation through Jesus Christ. What it means, friends, is that it makes even more important your and my responsibility to carry out that great commission of Jesus to go and make disciples of all people. It makes it that much more important for you and I to be supportive of mission work around the world, but also to see each and one, every one of ourselves as a missionary everywhere we go, ready and willing to share the message of Jesus with everyone who will listen. The cry of the first believers, the cry of the early church, was an Aramaic phrase that went like this, Maranatha, Maranatha, come, O Lord. 
Their primary focus, you see, was not on the things of this life. Their primary focus was on the life to come. Maranatha, come, O Lord. Friends, this Advent season, as we pray, come, Lord Jesus, may we also take time to prepare. After all, our King is surely coming again. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And may the peace of God which passes human understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, your Savior. Amen.